Coming to you from Podcast Detroit, it's Heard, your food, beverage, and hospitality podcast. Heard is a collaboration between the Hungry Dudes, Nick Drinks, and the Detroit Optimist Society. Each week, we interview industry professionals about issues related to food, beverage, and hospitality. Please take a moment to subscribe to Heard through the Apple Podcast app, Google Play, SoundCloud, or however you subscribe to your podcasts. Write a review and let us know what you think. For additional content, including awesome videos and photos, visit HerdPodcast.com, like Herd Podcast on Facebook, and follow at Herd Podcast on Instagram. We appreciate your support and hope you enjoy this week's episode of Herd. Hello, friends, and welcome to Herd, your food, beverage, and hospitality podcast. I'm Joe Hakeem, and tonight I'm joined by Jason hey. and our special guest, former pop-up phenom behind the Detroit Deli concept, among others, former executive chef at Standby. And tonight we'll discuss his new project that will be located outside of the skip. Jesse Knott, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Even. So let's talk about this um, move from pop-up to executive chef. Back to pop up ish kind of thing, right? I don't know. I'd really call it a pop up. It's going to be a permanent thing outside of the skip, um, like a permanent like s- structure. No, it's a it's a mobile cart, and it's going to be fixed as a permanent structure in the alley while it's operational. So, kind of describe what the the skip looks for for those that might not know, right? So the skip, so the standby, yep, and the skip are a few steps away from each other, right? Yeah, they're, uh, I'd say they're more than a few steps. It's good, like halfway down the alley, but the skip is an outdoor-ish area in the belt alleyway, and it's full of beautiful artwork, plants, frozen drinks, all kinds of things. It's a kind of unique setting. It's different than any kind of patio or anything like that where you are in an alley, you know, in between some old buildings, so it has some kind of uh, limitations towards what you can do in it. But it's been repurposed. There's no car traffic. There. Although they push the boundaries, though. I mean, they've they have the concerts. Yeah. Big Sean did a concert in the alley there. I yeah. know Ford oh, it, did a, a big thing in there. Yeah, uh, it gets pretty wild out there for sure. Yeah. I mean, there's room for plenty of people. People doing a lot of cool different things. All kinds of music. All kinds of art. All kind and pretty soon, all kinds of food. Excited about that. So, what what is the concept going to be? Um, th- this cart that you're going to be operating. What what what's your uh, vision for that? Uh, well, I kind of half jokingly told the last couple of people that asked me that question that it would be food that you could kind of find if you went to a baseball game in northern India. You know, I don't really <laughs> want to call it Indian food because I'm not Indian. I'm not from India. I'm just inspired by and really a big fan of eating those flavors. So it turns up in my cooking a lot. We're gonna do you know sausages, curries, cheese sauce, like all that kind of all that kind of thing, and be like baseball game food. You know, so stuff you can walk with. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The idea is to kind of be able to grab it from the cart, walk around in the alley, check it out, have a drink. You know, if you were you work downtown somewhere, hopefully we're going to have lunch going soon and you can kind of hit it and walk back to the office, walk around, you know, mobile street food. So th- this is kind of, so before you had Detroit Deli, which mm-hmm. was like a, a pop-up concept, right? So you yep. would, you would show up at different places and make Indian inspired food. Right. Um, so you went from that to this executive chef role at Standby. How did that happen? Um, I kind of was already working at Standby a couple of days a week and just ended up there when, you know, the shakeup happened with Brendan. And then 
was asked to kind of help it move along and stuck really is all that went down. And it stuck for what? Over a year, it's right? It's been a year and pushing a half. I'm not really sure, but wow. yeah, a year and some time. And how do you feel like, how did that, how did the change from pop-up to executive go for you? <laughs> it's gone pretty well, actually. I mean, I wouldn't really say the workload was a whole lot different, to be honest with you. You know, I, now I have a dishwasher, <laughs> which is really like, you know, the most amazing thing. It was like the making of the food and, you know, concept of the menu and a all that kind of stuff is really kind of the same, but with pop-ups, you have a lot of schlep. It's like you got to move all of it somewhere. You got to move all of it back. You got to clean up after it, typically like in your own home. So that's kind of a mess. And then, uh, yeah, so having an actual kitchen to do all that work actually made it easier, to be honest. And, you know, it gets into a whole other thing with like staffing and all of that turns into a whole other issue. But like as far as the transition went, I thought it was actually not really that difficult well the pop-ups are were, i mean correct me if i'm wrong but the pop the idea behind pop-ups is to at some point ultimately create the buzz or create the sustainable like brick and mortar version of something or yeah. what is the th- what is the thought behind that like you always wanted to reach that point right and so it's not like it's uh not necessarily hmm. i mean we kind of did it like me personally you know it's different for everybody i'm sure, sure a lot of people if you have the idea of opening a brick and mortar thing, starting as a pop up to generate buzz and to get people eating your food is like the greatest idea ever. Of course, you want to get it out there as soon as you can and have people experiencing what you're doing. For me personally, I wasn't really trying to find a job as a chef. Honestly, I just like making the food. I like the idea of you know the pop up thing being able, being different every time and switching it up. You know, so it wasn't really the idea in the first place, but I just kind of ended up going down that way. Hmm. Is there something to be said for the stability of the, this kind of, I mean, not just the paycheck, but like the, working with a consistent staff and a, having a drink program to kind of play around with? I don't know how, how connected you were to uh, the drink program at Standby, but um, like, h- how does that interplay with what the pop-up scene was like for you uh, in that regard? Um not sure I really understand that. How do they interplay as far as having the drink program? Yeah, yeah. Like, is there something to the stability of it all? Like, in terms of like uh, going to the same place every day rather than trying to? I mean, because I, I imagine you're booking your own dates, right? Yeah. And um, like every day. So at that point, you're working with a different bartender. You're working with a different owner. You're working with a different everything. As far as doing pop ups, you mean? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the the stability of it is great just because of the team that's at standby. I mean, having guys like Joe Rob and like Shane and all them there, those guys are brilliant, man. I mean, the, the stuff they're doing and we're all in the same kitchen making the same, making things together and kind of bouncing stuff off of each other. So that part of it is amazing. You know, having uh, access to certain flavors and like equipment and things you wouldn't normally think to use in cooking, you know, it's like. There's like citric acid and all these like cool syrups and juices and like things that you wouldn't normally think to like put in food, but then you start like understanding how they're utilized. Like all that is really great. Uh, As far as like the stability of it, I mean, yeah, it's great to have a steady paycheck, steady job, a place to like actually go in and do your thing is it's always good. And so with the the um, transition from pop up to to this so pop up before like how did you get inspired to even do go down that path i was actually kind of talked into it (laughs) really yeah 
I mean, I went to culinary school way back in the day with the idea of just kind of learning how to cook for myself and like learning more about it because I was, you know, interested in it from just a personal aspect. You know, I had a whole other thing going on and then was just like kind of pushed in that direction. I helped somebody do a catered dinner party in an old abandoned tire factory and then that was kind of fun. And then we did another thing together and it just kind of snowballed. Like I did a couple of them that were, you know, a lot of people turned out for and you know, do something that's successful. You want to try to keep it going. And how, how often at, at your peak, how often were you cooking? Like for during the pop-up, I mean, uh, I was doing probably like two or three of them a month at one point for a sustained period of time. And that was, um, were you trying, was that a, a good number for you? Were you trying to, yeah, I, I would imagine like without a whole staff and an actual kitchen to pull that off, that's about as many as you could really do. You know, if you had an actual space with, you know, like I said, like before I was kind of joking, but I'm not really joking when I say dishwashers and cooks and people to help, you know, you could make, you could do one every couple of days probably. I mean, that's what a restaurant essentially is, is kind of going through the same process as making, you know, a daily service of food. So, I mean, with the right amount of help, you could do one as many times as you wanted really, but with like me and a couple of people in my kitchen at home, it's really like... You're not trying to do it more than that. Well, between like Revolver and now Frame, that's kind of like they're filling kind of that in between niche between like yep. pop up and full restaurant, right? Like you, it's essentially still a sustained pop up, yeah. right? I mean, yeah, but they have, I haven't really seen framed space, but Revolver has a nice spot, you know, yeah. you can leave equipment there, leave food there. They have refrigeration, which is key. They have a dish tank. So you could really be in there for as long as they'll have you and kind of just keep it going as long as you needed to, you know? Do you think there's, an appetite for more things like that? I mean, is the the demand for the pop-up still there or was the pop-up kind of like in our market now that there are more established concepts and places that people could go that, you know, there's less people doing the pop-ups or like, how uh, that? I guess I, in my opinion, I would say that there will always be demand for greatness. You know, yeah. if somebody's going to do a great pop-up or do a great anything that involves like, food or drink or both or what you know any something that we've never even thought of people will go to it absolutely you know if it's going to be just a regular old thing you know like that if it's the same thing over and over again i don't think there's going to be a demand for that necessarily but people bring it and people are going to show up so kind of talk about your uh the the, the mixing of baseball and indian food why expand your love for baseball <laughs> um you know, it's just like I, I wouldn't imagine it was any different than anybody else. Just been watching baseball since I was a kid, and it's the kind of thing where you can have this a baseball. Is America. Yeah, you know, <laughs> you can have a ball game on in the background, and it doesn't require undivided attention the whole time. Like you know, if you watch like a hockey or basketball or football game, it's like you really got to really understand what's happening. You need to just be so invested in it. You know, ball game. It's like during the summer it's outside you know it just like it transcends so many different things you know i just love like the idea of it being baseball season i love going to the ball game and getting a hot dog all that stuff you know and how is baseball colored past menus for you uh I, i'm not really sure i made a like a malt cup this like ice cream that they used to have at tiger stadium i yep. tried to recreate that one time i did like a whole entire pop-up around doing like hot dogs and sausages stuff like that it's just kind of fun i think it's like 
food that people can get behind. It's accessible to everybody and it can be, you know, like making a hot dog can be just as challenging as making like anything in food really, you know, to do it properly. And it's so there's a technique involved and it's just like fun and delicious for everybody, you know, and kind of explain the, the, there seems to be an inherent difficulty between like you're melding two things. One kind of exotic Indian food Mm -hmm. and your baseball American, like we just said, um, is there a d- difficulty in explaining menus to people? So, and do you do you foresee that happening uh, at the food cart? No, I don't think there's a difficulty explaining the menus per se. Just more of the concept. You know, it's like that's why I was saying earlier. I was kind of joking around with it, like you're at a baseball game in North India. You know, it's but not cricket. You know, you gotta, like you got to <laughs> make that kind of differentiation for people. Um, I think the only difficulty is really like people when they have anything that they've never really heard of or seen before, they're going to have difficulty understanding it until you explain it to them properly. It's just like anything they're going to, as far as like the menu items, once, you know, once it's kind of rolling and we're serving them, it's like, here's, this is a curry worst, you know, it's a sausage with this curry sauce on top. You know, this is, you know, won't really, won't really be anything too crazy. You know, I don't think it'll be something that people won't have any idea of how to comprehend it, but just kind of like giving people that explanation of the concept is a little different, I guess. Well, what was your first, so you're inspired by Indian food. You have a passion for it. It shows up in your cooking. How did that come about? Like you were in an Indian restaurant or you travel or like, like why are you so passionate yeah, I mean, about it? Cause that honestly, could help you communicate to other people. Like you're passionate about this for a reason. Right. I mean, I guess that just comes about from eating it and experiencing it. Mm. Like I don't, I've never traveled that extensively i haven't been to india i've you know researched it pretty good at this point and as far as like the cooking techniques and flavors but honestly man just being like from like suburban detroit and having no access to it like one day i just went and had some and was like this is unbelievable it's like the most delicious thing i've ever eaten and like it keep continues to be to this day you know so Mm. that's really all it is man it's not really anything like metaphysical or too crazy i'm just like i just like eating it and like cooking it i like it is there any sense of, and I don't want to get too deep into the appropriation uh, rabbit hole, but have you, <laughs> yeah. and you, you kind of stepped into that uh, away from it earlier, you know, a few minutes ago, uh-huh. um, saying you're not Indian and like, you're, you know, this Indian inspired. Right. Do, do you, do you ever have any pushback because you're making Indian food? Not that I've heard. No. And I mean, I, I will say that I approached the whole thing in the first place with, the idea of having the utmost respect for the classic techniques that are used in it in the first place. I don't really intend to like appropriate or offend or do anything like that. It's just, like I said, it's just stuff that I like to do and that's really all, all that it is. Are you aware of anyone else doing like a concept that is melding Indian and American types of cuisine? Uh, Not that I'm, really aware of i saw a food truck at the market a couple weeks ago that was uh i don't recall the name of it off the top of my head but it was something along those lines but i think like i kind of checked out the menu real quick and it looked like it was kind of like there was like a curry reuben kind of thing and there was something else and like it sounded cool i didn't really like i had just eaten and i was in a hurry so i didn't really like have the time to stop and eat but i'd like to check it out again and why do you think that is why do you think that indian uh Indian food hasn't been kind of taken on in the zeitgeist of like American cuisine as much as say other like Mexican or that's a great Italian. question, man. And I, I feel like it might be coming soon, honestly, but uh, it's just, 
I, I don't know, honestly, the answer to that, but I feel like it might just have to do with a lot of the flavors involved and a lot of the techniques involved are pretty, they're a little different and they're a little out there and exotic for people. You know, sometimes people, I couldn't even tell you how many times I've heard, oh, I just, hate, I don't like curry, you know? Yeah. And that, to <clears throat> me, that's like the craziest thing ever because just the word curry isn't even a real thing. It's like there's so many different things that could encompass, like, what is a curry? It's like, it's a little bowl of stew. It's like got it could be like three thousand different flavors, you know. So there is that. That's like a thing that needs to be kind of combated with this whole thing. Is just kind of the the misunderstanding of it that people have, and like the people that love it don't have that misunderstanding. But a lot of people are going to hear hear that and automatically think they don't like it when they hear Indian food, you know. But you run the resume. You're calling it a curry worst. Yeah. So people are immediately, like you said, could have that like exactly perception, but. Um, we're like, where, where's good Indian food in Metro Detroit area? Like, I don't even know. So I'm curious, like if somebody <laughs> wanted to, you know, go eat Indian food tomorrow, like where would I go? Oh man, there's a few for sure. My favorite, uh, one of my very favorite places is called Namaste Flavors. It's out in Farmington Hills. It's quite a hike from the city. Uh, there's a couple places in Hamtramck that are pretty good. Aladdin is pretty, pretty tight. It kind of be hit or miss every now and then, depending on who's cooking. Um, there's a bunch of stuff up in the Troy, Rochester area. There's a bunch of stuff out in like the Canton area. Hmm. So uh, lots of good ones, but Namaste flavors. That's where you go and start. It's a uh, very bare bones, delicious, you know, everything so. served on styrofoam, right? Yeah. Something yeah. like that. <laughs> <laughs> styrofoam and plastic. That's yeah. what they, uh, yeah. It, they're, they're a great spot. Yeah. Um, Right down the street from there is a place called Ahar. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they're equally, I think is good. And I think, um, they might be connected somehow. Really? I think so. Okay. Or I'm c- confusing. There's another place called Turmeric in Newby, oh. which is a um, Indian. It's a vegetarian Indian restaurant. Okay. And um, it might be them and a they're connected. There, there's a lot of interplay between the Indian I've, that I've learned. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's there's some really interesting spots around here. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so let's go back to this whole curry discussion about how many. Like, I, I feel like curry, and maybe I'm overstepping here but like curry and mole are kind of similar absolutely and um and so mole mole has um you know this long cooking time and these multitudes of ingredients Mm -hmm. um and i don't think people rightfully understand that since these are similar that there's similar a similar process right can you kind of explain what go what goes into making a curry um, a sauce or however you want to go down this path of explaining what, what a curry is to you? Um, sure. Where do I even start with that? There's a, so for me personally, what, what I feel like is the most important step is grinding my own fresh spices and making my own pastes. Like we serve a dish at standby right now called the Malai Royale. And it starts with taking cashews, soaking them, grinding them into a paste and then doing the same thing with shallots, garlic, ginger, like all this stuff, like fresh, cut it, grind it into a paste. And then that's before you even like start to cook a sauce. So that I think has a lot to do with the like the huge flavor development that comes into what most people think of as a curry, you know, and like the, why it tastes so amazing. It's not just like just throw some stuff in a pot, throw some spices in a pot, and then just like there you go, you know. It's like very, very elaborate, very detail-oriented there's a French term called mise en place that every cook knows. Indian food is like you have to be so, so on that. Absolutely. You have to have like when I make that dish in Standby's kitchen, I have all my little pastes and all my little like spice blends are all in a line. 
and you know the OCD cook can appreciate that having it all set up and it's all in the order that you go into the pot and it all has to be cooked the uh, the shallot has to be browned just perfectly before you add the garlic and then the garlic has to be cooked just perfectly before you add the ginger and so on you know there's like there's steps it's like a it's like building a sauce necess- not necessarily just like making sauce you know the mole is very similar in that respect with like chilies and seeds and all different kinds of things that can go into that you know you have to have every one of them prepared individually and ready to go in when they need to go in how long does how long does that take takes uh that malai gravy that we make at uh at standby right now it takes a good like four hours you know from start to finish starting to like if like one person was to stand there and just make the whole thing the way i was just describing it it would take good three four hours to get it like where it's kind of ready to take off wow yeah, I think that that's a huge part of like, like kind of the outside, like the guests kind of experience of a restaurant. They don't mm-hmm. really get how much goes into a dish like that, right? Right. And nor should they really have to, you know, like when you're going out to eat, I don't think part of your experience is really like trying to figure all that out. You just want it to, you want to be wowed. You want to have a little mystery to it, you know, you know kind of just... For me, too, like, when I go out to eat, like, I would rather not know anything about it. <laughs> I just want to sit down and have, like, some food brought to me and enjoy it and, like, have a great time with whoever I'm with. And, like, I'm not trying to, like, nitpick and, like, think of all that, you know. Like, I think it's better that they don't really, <laughs> right? from that aspect. Um, I, I do, like, but the I have to be reminded of, like, my grandmother growing up, like, my Italian grandmother going to her house and, like, she's – you know the two kitchens one in the basement classic italian yeah. grandparents and um she's sitting with the sauce like all day right yeah. she's you know uh checking on it throughout the day and like Very 6 hours later you know sun, sunday dinner's ready right That's how it's done and um so i guess this leads to a question of like what was your childhood like growing up in terms of cooking um there wasn't really any of that that's for sure like my my parents are great and they cooked for us as kids and everything but it wasn't I was not on, involved on that level at all. Like, I really didn't even start cooking for myself until I moved out and had to, you know? It was, uh, yeah, I don't really have any, like, stories of, like, hanging out in Grandma's kitchen or anything like that, you know? And I, I appreciate that, and I think that's amazing, but that's just not really anything I had going on. Well, yeah, but the the thought of you becoming so passionate later in life mm-hmm. and i mean later in life being like you moved out i don't know when you moved out but that's not <laughs> you're not old by any means but um that has something to say too like what what sparked that passion like when you started cooking for yourself how did you even how did you start yeah not there? everybody is just like i'm gonna go to culinary school because i want to cook better for right. myself i mean that's well i mean yeah of course i had some interest in it before all that but i mean it was it, that that's just it. I started cooking mostly out of like a survival necessi- necessary thing, you know. And I lived in a house with a bunch of people, and none of them were any good at it. So somebody had to figure it out, and yeah. I ended up being pretty good at it. So I was like cooking for them and cooking just like here and there just to eat. And I didn't really think much of it at the time, but like you know, it kind of developed, you know, throughout my life into something I actually enjoyed doing. It was like a process that I enjoyed doing. I liked the meticulous nature of like doing it properly, like we were just talking about, like making you know, cutting garlic properly and like cutting everything up and like having it ready to go and like, you know, going through all of that and then like figuring out how to do it so I could have it ahead of time, like maybe for the next day kind of thing. And then just like, there's so much to learn, you know? And it's like, once you kind of get to the point where you're living on your own and you're not going to school anymore, you either have to figure out something you're interested to keep learning about or not learn anything, which I think was probably the worst thing ever. So 
we want to keep learning, we want to keep doing something, and like food is an unlimited, you know, road of figuring things out all the time. Like I don't know anything about it. I feel still, and I'm always trying to figure it out. I feel like no cook will ever figure out all of it. So it's kind of a good thing to get into if you just like have that thirst for knowledge. I think that's a good way to lead into. You, you mentioned that uh, this food cart idea is going to be. Uh, you know, if you're it went to a baseball game in northern India, so you're mm-hmm. very specific about it being northern India. Um, so then that brings up the point of like there's southern India, there's yeah. eastern, there's western, there's middle, there's you know whatever however many regions of India there are. Of course, what? So are you specifically focused on northern India as like th- that's where your comfort zone is, and have you explored kind of the the other regions of the country? Uh, a little bit, yeah. I mean, I feel like. I feel like if I had to pick one tiny little part of the world that made the most delicious food I've ever had or ever even thought of, it would be, you know, the region of northern India where you're getting into China and Pakistan and Nepal. They all kind of like come together. There's a place, there's a couple places up in the Troy area that do. It's called like Indo-Chinese style food that's like you get like noodles involved and like all these things that you don't really see in traditional like Indian food that you think of in, in a restaurant here. And it starts getting like real wild, man. It's like sweet and sour noodles with like curry cauliflower and like all this stuff you know and it's just it's crazy to like you know us to think about all these food is that a, do food. The, like, those restaurants are they run by indian people or i mean to the best of my knowledge yeah i've never really started asking a whole lot of questions when yeah. i go to a lot of these places you know about you know getting personal with people but it would seem to be yeah i mean from what i understand is how like you know how this food is going and like what it's supposed to be called and what it's supposed to be like this is how it comes out for the most part um yeah so i, I like that's what i was saying i was kind of half joking about it earlier you know it's like it's northern india is kind of considered the part where you get all these like curry sauce type foods and like get into southern india and it gets like real dry and real hot and like you know rices and chilies and all these types of things mm, sounds and like, like my gym. yeah it's good man i mean all of it's good and like you know, I don't want to pigeonhole the whole thing into just being Northern Indian or whatever. It's not really like any of that, but it is fascinating to kind of like learn about the different parts of India and the different parts of the world and like how they come together. You know, like there, you get England involved in it and Spain and all these different places that have been like back and forth through India throughout history, and it's like gets pretty crazy. There's a lot of different things going on. Yeah, we um, we started introducing curries at Ackroyd's because of um, the connection, nice. British and uh, Scottish, to, to to India. And I mean, it's an imperialistic kind of connection. Yeah. However, um, there, there's a huge comfort uh, to to Scottish and British folks the, with Indian food. Yeah, and so you put Indian, you put a curry in a pie. Yeah, and all of a sudden people are like, you know, falling all over themselves. Yeah, what is it? Chicken tikka masala is like the national dish of England, kind of thing. <laughs> Yep. Yeah, that's amazing to me. I mean, I know it's like rooted in some pretty evil stuff, but I mean, it's like at this point, that's really funny. Like they think about that, you know, and the fact that it's such a delicious thing that people all over the world want, will like are willing to forego their own culture to be like, this is what we like. This is our national thing. We love it, you know, on that level. So one of the things I'm very interested in is like you're obviously very passionate about this and you're going to be operating this cart in a very open space with people that are just going to be passing by. Mm-hmm. Um, the vision of this cart, are you going to be doing the interplay with the, the, the customer as well or are you going to have someone operating, taking orders for you? And how do you convey that passion to that? If you're not doing it, how do you convey that passion to another person? Hmm. 
That's a good question. I mean, there will be people taking orders, and I plan to be pretty much out there on the cart for, I mean, I'm in the kitchen at standby like 90 hours a week, wow. you know, so it's like I don't really imagine I would be away from that cart a whole lot, you know, so if anybody needs some talking into you or anything, I'll be around to handle that, I guess. Yeah, so what, what is, is this going to be like an, like, when you say hot dog cart, I think of something very specific. Is that mm-hmm. what I'm, am I thinking of the right thing? Like this it's, kind of like open air kind of yeah, space? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's a, it's an Italian beef cart from Chicago. We actually like literally drove there, bought it, stuffed it in a U-Haul and drove it back here. <laughs> so wow. it's pretty cool, man. I mean, it's a, uh, that the conversation about the cart started with its limitations and I just kind of saw it as opportunities and like the, the whole idea of the curry and the Indian food kind of almost fits it perfectly. It has, you know, hot wells. It's like the only thing on it to cook with is a flat top grill and some hot wells. So, you know, it's going to have like, that's why I was saying the cheese sauce, the curry, like the stuff will be kind of just like ready to go on the cart and like, you know, the sausages are just going to be on the grill and it's, uh, it's about, you know, the length of this room and it'll have some tables on either side and, uh, we had it tricked out. It's got this like murdered out sneeze guard and the like, wood and like all looks like the inside of the skip. This like old distressed wood look. It looks great and it's ready to go. And like, yeah, it's, I can't wait, man. Yeah, I've been, uh, you guys have been doing the uh, Thursday night uh, Savage Bliss parties at yep. the skip. DJ. Yeah, yeah, a lot of fun. The only thing missing? Food. Absolutely. I, smash yeah. No, I understand. I'm, I'm ready, man. Let's do it. Yeah, I'm, I'm super looking forward to that. So then what, what comes – so the vision hit there is, you know, obviously you have this food cart. You're going to be kind of introducing this kind of new type of Indian food to people. What Do you see anything happening beyond that going as, forward? As far as what? I don't know. Say three, three five years from now, like what do you, what do you see happening with, with this concept? Do you see growth? Yeah, absolutely. I mean the, the idea for the alleyway is to have more than one thing like this going on. So – the cart's going to kind of be the first thing, and then there will be different kinds of food, different kinds of drinks. Like, there, you know, there's going to be another bar at the other end of the alley from the same same team. And, nice. uh, I mean, it's going to be crazy. That alleyway is going to be a destination. You know, it already is in my mind. I think it's like, I, you know, I, I've lived in downtown Detroit since before they even built the Z-Lot, that alley, any of that stuff. So, like, to see that is, like, crazy to me, you know. So it's like. There's all these new things happening and all these restaurants and all these stores and all these like corporate interests are coming down. But to me, that alleyway is like, that's so unique and so cool. And it's a space where anybody can go. They don't have to pay money. They don't have to do anything except just like walk through there and just like chill out, sit on a bench, hang out however long they want, you know? So the idea of being able to maybe upgrade, maybe like add a little bit to somebody's experience in a space like that is pretty exciting. You know, I'm like, I'm happy to be a part of that. So the growth, you know, Yes, there will be growth and there will be different things going on. And we might, you know, that as far as the cart goes, it could change from year to year or like, like there could be somebody else. Maybe somebody else has a pop up in it one day. Maybe it's a whole different thing. Maybe we're cooking burgers out there one day, whatever, you know, it could be whatever. Yeah. And so that, that was kind of my next question. Do you do you have any other concepts that you Mark have? Mark Anchek says we've already got enough burgers just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I I agree with that. By sorry, the way. sorry to cut you off. I was just thinking that. No, and I, I'm I a burger you, guy, so I was yeah. like, first I was like peak, but I'm like, wait a second. That, yeah. That's that standby burger. I don't know if it's still the same. I had it maybe a year year or so back uh, with the American cheese. And yeah, the, that's that's us. fucking ridiculous. Thanks, it's so man. good. Yeah, that's uh, we're, we're proud of it, man. They're like, I've never really thought of myself as a burger guy. I know you wouldn't tell that by looking at me, but. <laughs> 
you know, it's, uh, I don't really think of a burger as something I want to eat. You know, all my all shirts are size dad bod. Yeah, yeah, no, <laughs> I'm, I'm with you, man. I feel you on that. But it yeah, ain't think, easy as it looks. Yeah, <laughs> I completely understand. Yeah, yeah, that, I like the our steak burger was great a lot, too. Man. Thanks, man. I finally had. Uh, yeah, I went there. Uh, actually, one of the Savage List parties. Uh, it's really great. Yeah, you guys got about a week but to get them in. So, oh, really? Well, yeah. I'm going to be there Thursday, so cool. I'm going to try some stuff out. Awesome. Um, is that the rollout of the um, everything's changing Thursday? Uh, not necessarily Thursday. Probably by the end of the week. Uh, probably getting, end, getting it kind of swapped out. Cool. Yeah. So do you have any like uh, cuisine that you want to explore like in the future, like in terms of – I mean – Outside of like Indian, mm-hmm. not just like Southern Indian, but like it's yeah, something no, more I mean, than. I like all kinds of different stuff. It's not really. Uh, I don't know. I I love 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 like Lebanese food. I love Thai food. You know, I like. There's a lot of things that can kind of go back and forth with like you know they interchange and like work together. You know, the whole idea of making like Indian food is like again not something I'm really trying to do necessarily on purpose. It's just kind of the stuff that I know and I like making and like it, like. The flavors end up in a lot of the stuff, you know. So I think that as far as exploring other cuisines, I'm going to always be doing that constantly. You know, like I was just saying, I, I like learning, and it's an endless wormhole, so to speak, of learning about different kinds of food. I'll always be doing it, yeah. And I think, I mean, to some extent, you to were the filling. the benefit of us all. <laughs> right. And I mean, you were filling a void, right? Like there was no Indian... When you started Detroit Deli, there was really no Indian uh, pop-up happening, was there? Not that I was aware of, no. And um, I mean, and you went all you went into like the brunch side of things as well. Mm-hmm. And um, is that something that you uh, would consider bringing back? Yeah, I love. We talk about it still all the time. I love doing brunch. Um, yeah, the the brunch thing that Lindsay and I was doing at Detroit City Distillery was great for a long, long time. We did it, and it was food we both love doing and food that I love eating. I mean, brunch. What's better than that? Really, you know, it's. And we were, you know, the Indian stuff worked its way into that too. And it wasn't, again, like not, it's not an intentional thing. It just like ends up kind of being the thing that we, that I personally go to. And yeah, brunch would be great. We're like, we're trying to get that cart open for lunch eventually. And, you know, the idea of having like an egg sandwich in the middle of the day is always my favorite thing. Like I don't always want to eat breakfast in the morning, you know. So I think. One of my go-tos is I smash Western omelets at Honest John's at 2 p.m. in the afternoon you know awesome. like yeah yeah i feel you man like i want to eat i want to eat breakfast for lunch yeah totally <laughs> you know and a lot of us you know like if you work in the industry you're not even awake early enough yeah. to get breakfast from anybody you know so that's uh that's a thing too you know that might have a lot to do with it the fact that we don't even have access to it just in our lifestyle yeah but yeah brunch was brunch is always on the table something you know something i love cooking and like making sure everybody gets to eat so so um, you mentioned Lindsay. Mm-hmm. Lindsay is uh, is she going to be helping you on the cart? Yeah, she'll yeah. be there. And she's been around with you at standby the the time. Yep. So she's been your like kind of your partner in crime. Yeah, or? she is my my. I'm lucky to call her my girlfriend, and she is a, in my opinion, the best cook in Detroit. Really, I mean, her experience is unbelievable, and like the fact that she's never really mentioned or thought about or been given like an opportunity like a lot of people in this town have is crazy. I mean, she's been the chef of a place in new york she's worked at michelin starred places like in manhattan you know and a lot of people don't realize that but she's an absolute badass and i'm lucky to have her helping me i love seeing your pictures on instagram whenever that was when you guys went to brooklyn the last time 
yeah. was a year ago. It's been a minute since I've been bartending at your house. But yeah. we used to come in and we talk about those things. And yeah. your last trip to Brooklyn looked pretty fantastic. So. Oh, yeah, man. I mean, New York's great. Yeah. Brooklyn in particular. It's a good time. Always. I still think about that feta barbecue spot. The what? Feta Sao. Yeah. yeah. It's great. I wish there was some place like that. Yeah. That would open up here like, hey, can I just take this like cafeteria tray up and be like, load me up with all the things that I love. <laughs> yeah. There's there's a lot of things happening in New York we could definitely use here for sure. We need some upgrades. But I think the, the going back to the, the, the alley, um, there's nothing in New York like uh, – not that I noticed. They, they, that, that is a truly unique spot that um, – Cleveland's got something a little like that. Yeah, Cleveland, I believe. Yeah. I don't have a, I don't have a lot of time in Cleveland. We went like not too long ago, but I was there for a day for yeah. like a, an event thing. You know, we didn't really get to check out much of it. It looked cool. It's kind of a Gilbert thing too. I mean, with the Cavs and you know Gilbert's connection here, we uh, there's a, a tiki bar out there. Porco is doing fantastic work. They were yeah. one of the original inspirations for uh, the tiki menu at Sugar House. We did a. They actually brought them to Detroit to do a takeover at the Sugar House, which was really fantastic. Um, they were great hosts when we went out there as well, but um, yeah, it's it's not like uh, there's not as much excitement as what's going on in Detroit, but they definitely have some cool stuff out there. Yeah, I've Spotted seen Owl, that. Uh, yeah, uh, Michael Simon's got a couple things out there. Yeah, uh, Ma- like Mabel's and uh, Lola and yeah. Lolita. Yeah, but they do have a little alley thing. It's I, I'm going to say it's not as cool as Detroit's, but they definitely have this little, like Fourth uh, Fourth Street alley or something. But yeah, no. No, the alley there is great. I mean, I told you all that too, man. Like when I'm not at work and going to the places that I have to be at in my personal time, I like to go there, man. You know. Well, that's great. I hope that lots of people feel that way. You know, it's a it's a good space, and it should be for everybody. You know. So I, I think one of the interesting things about this idea of a of a cart is that it, it and you mentioned this in passing earlier. It's kind of malleable, right? So you can. And with the artwork that's being displayed and stuff like that, is there any any sense that you could model menus off of what's being shown, like in like a kind of like a not not a permanent menu type of thing, but kind of like a one night only or like a you know weekend type of thing where you're focusing food and art together? Absolutely, yeah. That's the whole idea with the alleyway and having different spots in the alleyway eventually to have food as they can be for you know whatever kind of event comes through there and we've done a lot of different things for a lot of different people what be it like a like a music thing or you know big big i mean we did like a release like a couple of car releases there already and it's all kinds of different things so yeah i yeah, saw we, that we was had, one of the more recent ones ford had the thing you yeah. know blocked off and that whole thing going on in there it was super cool yeah it was crazy man we, i mean we we do all kinds of different catered things for that kind of stuff but as far as pub, uh public events yeah you could pretty much like take down and put back what we're not we're not planning on having anything on that cart overnight so everything's going to be taken down and put back up every day so we could really like change the menu on the fly every day if we needed to for whatever was going on everything's gonna be taken down yeah it's gonna all be run out of the standby kitchen oh okay so it'll be like it'll function out of a commissary which is kind of what gives us the opportunity to do the things we're doing out there besides just having you know hot dogs like normal like store-bought hot dogs and potato chips and all that kind of thing we get to actually run it as as a mobile unit out of a commissary um so the the space itself uh if i remember last year wasn't 
winter ready. Is it a, is it an all season space now? The skip bar is yes. The skip bar is yeah. The it, cart will probably not be open in the cold. Okay, I couldn't. I mean, I'm a pretty burly guy. I can stand out in the cold as long as I can, as long as anybody. But I don't want to have to make anybody like wait in line or stand out there to eat. You know, so not that they would come and do that anyway. But uh, there will be food at the skip throughout the winter in some capacity, but probably not with the cart. Is is the standby mm. kitchen connected to the skip, or is it like it's not really connected? No, no. okay, it's, it's all got to kind of you got to walk it through the alley, right? I haven't talked him into digging a tunnel yet. I'm yeah. trying. That's <laughs> in the <laughs> works. You probably well, you did the Bombay. I remember seeing you when you did uh, Bombay Sapphire was there, and you do you had the chicken, and you were bringing it down from yeah. standby yeah. down to the skip, and, yeah, uh, running down the alley not in optimal. February. Yeah. Watch a chase of food. Not optimal, but it worked out well. Yeah, we got it under control, man. We got all that. We're, uh, you know, we've had lots of R&D time on it. So sure. We're getting it together. Sure. So you mentioned uh, earlier this, and I, and I don't know if it's an exaggeration, but the 90 hours a week. Um, Not an exaggeration, th- unfortunately. That, that's a lot of time. <laughs> yes. Um, so that, that's essentially 13-hour days, which is incredible. Mm-hmm. Um how often are you working 90-hour weeks? It hasn't been as much lately, but, I mean, it's been it's been pretty regular throughout the year I've been down there. It is, so one of the things that, I mean, concerns me about this, about our industry in general, is the, the kind of overworking that occurs. Yeah, it's, it, it's real. And so do you, is that something that you're, as a, personally, are you trying to shift away from? Ninety hours, yeah, yeah, of course. Okay, <laughs> so you're not wearing it like a badge of honor. No, in terms of, I, mean, okay. I think it's an absolutely stupid thing to do, and it's not always worth it. I think that is uh, it the price of entry, the the price of entry. Yeah, what do you mean by that? Like somebody else will do it if you don't. So if you want to have these opportunities, you've got to be that guy. I think at it's first. actually kind of the opposite of that. I think it's mostly like. So nobody else is doing it for you, you know. So like, like it's a staffing thing, really. That's kind of mostly what it is. It's uh, people calling in, people just like not showing up to work. So you know, nobody else is going to do it for you. So you got to do it, you know. Hmm. Like a lot of those ninety-hour weeks have involved washing dishes all night, personally, and like doing things like that. It's uh, it's pretty pretty tough sometimes, but just kind of make it happen, you know. Do you run a lean ship? Uh, yeah, it, yeah, absolutely. And is that by design or is it by because you, the, the people are just hard to find right now? Uh, both? A little bit of both. It was by design initially and then kind of it's a little leaner than even I had anticipated just by, you know, hard to find people and all that. And, and so if you had a couple extra people, like would that drastically reduce what your workload is in terms of if you could di- – I guess what I'm getting at is – People in your position a lot of times have, like, you want the control. Mm-hmm. You want to be able to kind of, you know, maintain yeah. the, the consistency and control. Yeah, I, I would say it was more a consistency thing. In the, I mean, I'm sure for most people, some people, it can be a control thing. But for from my experience, it's it's a consistency thing. And it's not even really by design. It's like I'm I'm willing to let people do their work. And if they're doing it incorrectly, I'll do what I need to do to correct it. You know, you have to... When you're in a position of being a chef, or I'm sure like almost any boss, like leadership position, you have to be able to trust people. You know, you can't, you can't be a control freak and work 90 hours a week and like be a sustainable human being. It just doesn't work for very long, you know. So 
I'm not really trying to do that like a badge of honor or because I'm a, like, you know, kind of, uh, excuse me, trying to control anything. It's just, you know, matter of necessity sometimes. It's just kind of how it goes down. Do you see Do you see this cart being an opportunity for like more consistently, like like a better quality of life for you? Yes, I do. Absolutely. First of all, it's going to be closed on Monday. So like not having a seven-day-a-week operation sure. is just like the huge uh, – it sounds small, right? But it's really not like in the grand scheme of like, you know, writing a schedule and prepping food for, you know, a busy restaurant and like making all this stuff from scratch. Like at standby and when we go out to the skip, everything is handmade from scratch. We're making sausages, we're doing everything, you know, like we're making all of it. So that's a lot of work. And, you know, it just entails having a lot of help, you know. So when you don't have the proper amount of help, you have to do it yourself or you have to pare it down. You know, there's all these decisions that go into it. So, you know, without having to scrap the whole menu, you basically just had to do it yourself. So having one day off will be huge. Having the, you know, the space on the cart isn't going to be obviously like a whole kitchen. So we're only going to have like, you know, six, seven items every day. So that'll be another thing, kind of keep it a little bit more under control. It's interesting. The skill set, like the skill set to manage things is different than the skill set to like execute things, right? So yeah, like absolutely. I feel like what I kind of see in the marketplace is like, you know, the demand for all of these concepts and is obviously out there. I mean, everybody's rushing to open things up and, right. you know, create these things for people. The demand is there, yep. you know, and so there's kind of this phase where, you know, first of all, we've got to get the talented staff, right? Like, cause every project now is like super hyped and like, you know, the worst thing you could possibly do is open up. And then, you know, the first month, like, people go there and they have the worst experience right, right. you got to have talented people so but then it's like what about talented managers or like management is a different skill set skill set mm-hmm. you know like absolutely people can put their head down and work the 90 hours a week and like you know bust it out and be like i'm capable and so like you know owners or people at a certain level by necessity are like Okay, this person has the drive to have been accomplished these things as an individual. Now I'm going to put you into a position of management, which is a totally different thing, you know, like, um, and so like training bartenders, training chefs, like, I don't really see a lot of like management training necessarily, which right. is tough. It's a totally different thing. It is a totally different thing. And it's, you know, I never had any real classic training to do any of it. You just kind of jump in and figure it out and try yeah. to try to do the best you can, you know? And I would say that my management management style as a chef is about as laid back as anybody's ever going to see. You know, I'm not throwing pans or screaming or, you know, doing any of that crap. It's just, I don't know why anybody puts up with any of that, you know? So I don't really know. I wish I had answers for people for all of that. You know, I just try to do the best I can and treat people. We're all trying to figure that out. Yeah. Try to like, you know, try to be cool with people and like talk to people respectfully, you know, when there's a thing that needs to be corrected, you know, have a conversation about it, that, that sort of thing. And just, not like, I don't know. I don't really know. I'm not sure. If I had the answers, I wouldn't be working that much. You yeah. Know, I'd have like a. No, I mean, that's the thing, right? Like, I mean, the uh, the concept, the idea, theoretically, I mean, like, you know, you wouldn't have to work that much if like somebody else could do something the same way. But like consistency is really important. So you've got to maintain that, right? So yeah. Like communication, management, I don't know. These are the things that keep me up at night. And a lot of times know? too, especially in Detroit is like a pretty unique example of this situation it's like anybody who has the skills or the drive or the work ethic to do all these things we're talking about is given the position of 
if who, if bartender, cook, chef, sure. whatever, they're in charge, you know. They're given that job. And then they got to go back to find more people. And, like, it's just – it's the kind of thing where, you know, somebody's going to have to figure out a way to start being a better teacher. Yeah. And like, tell people how to – how they want things done. Like, honestly, some of the best guys I have at standby, guys and girls, you know, by the way, are people that don't have a ton of experience, you know. I'm super lucky to have Lindsay and, you know, I have a couple of people in there that are really badass cooks in the first place. But then, you know, I have some kids just off the street, you know, that, you know, if you're willing to teach people sure. and if they have the ability to actually like care about doing the right thing and like learn a thing, you know, I tell them, I mean, it's going to be discouraging. It's going to be tough. There are going to be days where you just don't want to come back, you know, and, you know, but figure out what you want. You know, you got to come back and then do better. You know, that's how you learn. And then they get some of them are just great, you know. So we got to be open minded to people as far as you know bringing people in to help. And is this all stuff you learn on the fly? Is this, yeah. Okay. That's everybody's le- everybody's learning on the fly. Yeah, right absolutely. Now, you know? Well, yeah, but especially you you are working essentially you and Lindsay together yeah. for however long you guys are doing the pop up. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you're thrown into a executive chef position where you're, you know, need to hire people. Yeah. Need to need to manage people. Need to write schedules. Need to do all these things. Yeah. You weren't taught any of this stuff, right? Uh, not really. No. Okay. As far as like, you know, going to school and like running businesses and things like that, I was pretty good at the numbers and the math and like adding all that up, excuse me, and then uh, writing a schedule. That can be a little tricky, but it's really not the most complicated thing ever. You know, it's like I look at that kind of stuff as like time I actually get to sit down for a minute, you know, so it's like not the worst thing. Um, But yeah, I mean, for the most part, you learn all that on the fly and there's not, you know, short of like working under the same person for you know five six to ten years like there's no real way to just get taught that for free you know you're gonna have to earn it learn it somehow you know you just got to do it so they took it i mean they took a kind of took a chance on you at uh uh at standby right like yeah i would say i mean were you were you kind of like were you overwhelmed at that whole at at the beginning or were you just like yeah i'm gonna do this and kill it yeah that was pretty much what i thought that's great i mean that's the only way you can do that if i if i had any kind of like you know overwhelmed or like anything like that like i think people can like sense that in you you know and like it just doesn't go well i don't you know i don't think overwhelmed is being a bad thing i mean in my personal life and i can only speak to my own self but i found over the years that one of the ways that i'm able to get better is by um, saying like I'm going to take on more than I can handle today, and then figure out how to manage it so that a year from now I can do a lot more than I could, you know, today. Oh yeah. Because like the some of the best knowledge in the world is like what would you do different? How would you do this? You yeah, know what I mean? Course. Like you've got to figure it out, right? Yeah. So like you've got to take on like I don't think being overwhelmed is like a, a necessarily a bad thing. Like you can be overwhelmed where like dude, that's your way out of you know like. That would be a bad thing, but in general, when you when we talk about learning and you know how do we improve, how do we you know uh, make these process improvements? Like I like to take on a lot of things because like you know, yeah, maybe everything won't be exactly correct, but it will be next time. Yeah. You know, like there's only one way to figure it out. So exactly. that's just kind of a personal you know thing. Yeah, I mean, a lot of what's going on in any restaurant, I would imagine, is taking on more than you're really supposed to yeah you know, and kind of figuring out how to make it happen you know i mean it, you can only really like make excuses for yourself for so long if you're gonna like you know 
I don't want to do that is kind of just an attitude. It's a thing that you have in your in your mind before you even do anything. Like I don't know, I just don't I don't do that. I just don't even look at things that way. So I mean, I guess overwhelmed maybe like the wrong word. I just definitely No, I think I mean that's the issues that people are facing right yeah, now, right? It's I mean, just, like, it's just a real thing, you know. It's yeah. Like, People people are talking about it, you know, and it's in the it's in the news and all that, and it's. I just hope that it doesn't become an excuse, you know, for people to use where it's just like, oh, well, we don't have the help, you know. It's like nobody has the help, and like certain people are kind of excel and like rise above that and figure it out and figure out a way. Like I was just saying, like you can like, you know, teach people how to do what you're going to do, like cooking in a restaurant, being a line cook. Like it's not the easiest thing to do, but it's really not the most like you know complicated thing ever like you have like these certain steps you have like you have all of your me's you set everything up to and be prepared for it and then you're able to knock it out you know you can pretty much do whatever you need to do i don't know i mean i've actually seen like a lot of the people that come through that have like a ton of restaurant experience they have almost like more bad habits than anything yeah. you know so like you know you gotta you have to be open-minded to a lot of it and just kind of figure out a way to communicate with people what you want and what's what you don't want to see and if they can do it they can hang if they can't they can't so one one more time this uh this cart when when is the projected open we're hoping to have it operational by the last week in august is kind of the what we're looking at hopefully so far and then you'll be probably operating through lion season yeah most part. hopefully yeah until you know I mean, like I said, I'll stand out there in the snow if somebody wants to come and hang out, you know, like grilling sausages and like going, you know, we're going to have food in the bar in some capacity, but the cart will be a weather permitting kind of thing for sure. And then if people want to catch you online, where can they catch you? Catch me online? Yeah. Uh, Catch me outside. Yeah. (laughs) I have the Instagram, Corktown Jesse. That's pretty much it, man. I don't really spend a whole lot of time on that. Real quick, though, before we've got it, I got to shout it out, man. I've got to know. I got to communicate to everybody, whoever follows our account. We got to talk about the blue cheese for two minutes. (laughs) I mean, you know, you were doing, you and Lindsay were doing the pop ups at Motor City Wine Uh uh, last summer. I don't remember how it was last summer, the summer before. Wasn't Indian, so we've been talking about Indian yep. and how influenced you are and passionate. Great job, but like this particular thing, nothing to do with Indian food. However, tell me about the blue cheese and that story because it's a great one. So I think we were just kind of at the Sugar House after one of these pop ups one night, and uh, you and your your, your uh, usual overly hospitable forum had us a little sideways, and <laughs> I. Uh, we ended up oh, talking we were chopping about, up the ice cream. Thing yeah, we, we, yeah, 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 totally, man. The ice cream was unbelievable. But uh, you, you had mentioned that you guys had some kind of like charcuterie cracker situation, and we were all like, you know, ready for a snack. And you're like, I don't know, we don't really have any cheese, you know. I'm like, oh, well, I got some cheese at the house. So I walked to my house, come back with about two pounds of Bailey Hayes and blue mm. cheese. <laughs> Oh my and, god, uh, Joe, are you familiar? I'm not. Get familiar. Yeah. All right, that's a that's a that's a Lindsay discovery, man. Lindsay is up on the cheese, man. She loves the stuff, and uh, blew my mind. I was never is, a blue cheese guy. Until, yeah, neither, but that was yeah, amazing. No, it's like every. That's the thing. It's like you know, people think they don't like tomatoes because they never had one out of a can or sure. one that comes from Michigan in the summer. There's like all kinds of things like that. Like I don't like this yeah. certain thing because I've never had it this certain way. It's like just. This blue cheese is unbelievable. It's one of the most delicious things I've ever tasted, and it sounds like you ha- you are on the same boat. But uh, yeah, we just we did something with it at a pop up, and we had a bunch of extra and brought it into the bar and proceeded to crush the whole rest of the thing. 
Where, good time. where can you get it? <laughs> That's uh, what I want to know. Like, oh, <laughs> yeah. So the, you know. it's called. It's produced by a place called Jasper Hill Farm in Vermont. I think you can order it straight from them online. I know Zingerman's carries it. Um, I've never really, honestly, seen it anywhere else. Yeah, usually, it was life changing. That's we why I, I, we had to shout them. it out because yeah. it was like it was that good. I mean, our charcuterie, we've got these. Uh, uh, little salamis or whatever and we were like grilling them up downstairs and like you know doing the crackers and cheese but like no the the blue cheese was like out of this fucking world yeah that like, blue cheese is out of this world it's uh it's the best i've ever had for sure as far as blue cheese and maybe cheese period but it's good stuff anybody who's into cheese go get some it's really it's killer and it's beautiful you buy a whole wheel of it get some friends it's a good time and so speaking of shout outs we need to shout out jesse you brought uh Dutch Girl Donuts, mm. <laughs> and, uh, and, and we're drinking Diplomatico uh, uh, rum and this Dad buds. plain blueberry donut, this fried donut. Blueberry L- Dutch Girl dark, is the yeah. best donut ever. There's no icing or anything on this. It's like you can get donut. Yeah, fried. you can get an iced one, too. They make an iced one, a regular one, and then they make a buttermilk one, and... Uh, to be honest, man, like I had to, you know, I had to cruise Woodward up here because it's rush hour and the traffic was rough on the freeway. So I just took the scenic route because I left a little early and I can't drive right past Dutch Girl to come talk to a couple guys about food. I mean, that's just stupid. Right. Yeah. We appreciate that. And the pairing with the rum. It's, it's pretty, pretty fantastic. Pretty great. Yeah, it's great. It works. And maybe a pop-up in the future. There you go. Donuts and rum. <laughs> donuts and rum. Uh, I'm actually, rum. you know, it's funny, man. Like, I like that blueberry donut so much that I have jokingly, like, threatened to use it as a pop. I was going to just, like, cut it up and, like, grill it and, like, put, like, so, like glaze on top. Are pop-ups out of the question at this point? You've got, you know, you're doing the card. Like, uh, are you, you're good? Not, as, no long as, pe- not the- as long as people are down to eat cut up blueberry donuts. <laughs> I mean, you're speaking my language. Yeah. I don't know, man. I mean, nothing's out of the question, you know. I just haven't had time for it. But uh, there there's been a couple of them go down at the skip, and you know I would be happy to see more of it, that kind of thing happen. You know, I I think that pop ups are a really cool thing for people to get like an opportunity. You know, as long as people aren't making half ass stuff and like charging people money for it, that's that's my whole thing. Like the whole process, and I've said this before, like the process of going to a pop up as a customer is kind of a pain in the ass, man. Sometimes they're I'm sorry if I'm supposed not supposed to say that, but it can be a little disorganized and a little, you know, long wait and like all that kind of thing. And it's still people are charging, you know, top dollar, you know, for the dishes they make as it would cost to go to a restaurant, you know. So people have that option to go, you know, and you got to make it worth their while. If you're going to make pop up food, make it awesome. Make it, you know, make it have everything together, have your head straight with it and don't like go too big, you know, make it within your means, make it worth people's while. And then people will keep going to them. Fucking pro tip right there. Yeah. <laughs> Boom. Uh, one last time, Corktown Jesse on Twitter, yeah? Uh, no, just Instagram. Oh, not Instagram. Sorry. Yeah. I, I think I, I, think I may Twitter. have a Twitter that's yeah, floating around there. Yeah. You're not using I, don't, it I don't use that Instagram. thing. Yeah. Instagram, yeah. yeah so Take great photos. Thanks, man. Yeah, yeah this cart. Uh, I appreciate you guys come having me out here with this cart. I just want to like throw out there the, the whole thing at standby. The guys that are running standby and the skip are like super top notch. And like I am not in any way like being doing anything that's like out you know that i'm well joe rob you know we've had joe rob on the the podcast previously and um i make no bones about it like joe rob i joe rob was working in the sugar house we were doing the sundays like great fucking guy man yeah always had my business people people don't get better than joe rob man man. he's a great all right yeah doing it right yeah jesse thanks for being with us thank you so much for having me until next time dine well friends boom yeah